Well, hello. Welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. This week, we're going to talk about traveling with your kids and review all the documentation you need. So in a few moments, our good friend and resident travel agent, Ken Stewart from Crowfoot Travel Solutions, will join us to review and discuss all the necessary documents you do need when traveling with children, from passports and vaccine certificates to the documents you need when traveling with children who aren't your own. Plus, the Canadian Rocky Mountain Resorts added another hotel to their collection of resorts, the Post Hotel and Spa in Lake Louise. So we'll get some insight on what that means and get a feel for what it's like to stay there in our hotel spotlight. And later in the podcast, we'll head to the Florida Keys to explore what it might be like to experience a driving tour across the five areas of the Keys. But first, like I said, let's begin talking about traveling with children. In particular, all the necessary documents you need from passports and vaccine certificates to consent letters. And joining us now to help us out is our resident travel agent, Ken Stewart from Crowfoot Travel Solutions. Good day, sir. Hello, Randy. Hello, everyone. I, I want to review um, some of the uh, requirements because it's uh, it can be very confusing. But if you know what you're doing, it actually is sort of simple <laughs> when it comes to traveling with children. Um, exactly. Let's start with children under 12 first because, uh, you know, they're the ones that um, for the vast majority are unvaccinated. I know that you can, they're starting to uh, vaccinate kids under 12, but... That's the one that uh, may cause some of the headaches, right? Right, exactly. And I'm glad you can't see the confused look on my face because you're on radio. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, flights for most children uh, between the ages of 5 and 12 or whatever are still allowed, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. But again, that's going to change down the road as, as things change and ramp up and things like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, again, uh, you know, because it takes you 20 days in between your first vaccination, and your second vaccination, everything like that. Uh, again, it's going to be down the road where it's going to be in effect, just like it is for all of us right now. So you may want to really consider that. And again, personal choice thing. We're not telling anybody you got to, um, but the rules are probably going to say that you're going to have to be fully vaccinated. So uh, when you're returning is the biggie, because uh, again, you have to, uh, if the child's unvaccinated, again, you can get back into the country with a PCR test. Uh, for 14 days after, after the, you arrive back home, your child's not supposed to be attending school, camp or daycare. Uh, you know, they don't want you hanging around with grandma and grandpa if they have, uh, you know, immune compromised or have issues for health. They don't want you doing that. You're not supposed to travel on public transportation that you can't do social distancing. So, so basically, it's almost like quarantining when you come back if your child is not vaccinated, even though you are. Mm-hmm. Well, and it and, makes it difficult. Obviously, you can't yeah. leave them alone. <laughs> no, no. So. so again, like I say, if you're working and everything like that or whatever, that's going to you know, impact your thoughts on the traveling. And uh, the government of Canada has a good website, and I know uh, they do give you an isolation page, which you can get at the airport. We were handed one when my wife and I came back across the border mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago from Idaho that explains everything really, really well and take it that. But again, uh, you know, you got to take the COVID-19 molecular trust uh, and make sure that they've had, uh, you know, if you've had COVID, heaven forbid, uh, that kind of, you know, eliminates the issues because that's kind of like having a negative COVID mm-hmm. test, a mm-hmm. test. So I'll actually get in there. So again, uh, you're just, you know, really, really limiting contact with, with everybody else and, you know, if you're 65 or older, they got issues, and uh, you have to still, you know, remain with a fully vaccinated parent or guardian as much as possible. So again, sometimes that might not be possible. So that's going to impact all your thinking about what kind of a trip and everything you're going to take. And we'll oh, see for sure. Lines. 
and lots of countries are starting to vary because the tests are available now in the U.S. and, and in Canada to a point. Uh, what they're requiring for the children to travel, and that's going to change. You know, we saw a couple of notices this week already uh, that in early 22, February, March, that kind of thing, that all the cruise lines are going to be requiring uh, children. If you're going to sail on the ship five and over, you have to be fully vaccinated to sail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is coming. And you, like I say, you just really need to check and recheck uh, the requirements and restrictions based on uh, when you're flying and traveling and also the destinations that you're going to be going to. Because uh, as you mentioned at the start of this conversation, it is confusing, confusing for us, uh, but by all means reach out to us and we'll work together and, and do our best to make sure you're as, as informed as, as we can, can get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now for children who are over 12, uh, basically you're treated like everyone else. If you're vaccinated, um, you just have to show your vaccine passport and, and those kind of documents, right? Yep, and that came out on the uh, Alberta, uh, Alberta Health Services report this year. There is a new one that has the little Canada up in the right-hand corner. You are going to be eventually need that one to travel, so you may want to print that off sooner than later. Uh, right now, uh, when I came back from a conference in Toronto or whatever, I had to show my proof of vaccination, which was my Alberta one. Mm-hmm. But there actually is a federal one that they're going to be requiring you to have for traveling, so you can... Start looking for that and get it printed off. Let's talk about consent forms if you're traveling with a child that uh, is not yours or if you're a single parent uh, traveling uh, with children. Uh, yeah. it's, you need these consent forms, don't you? Yes, you do. And, and even for grandparents, like I you know when we've taken our grandkids and, and mom and dad aren't going with us, uh, there is a generic one that's on the government website, real easy to fill in and use. Uh, sometimes best to have it notarized, depending on how much. I know with ours, we have a copy of mom and dad's birth certificate, or sorry, not birth certificate, driver's license, uh, imprinted on the back with a contact phone number. So, again, it looks a little more legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, again, good things to have. But, yeah, no, they are required if you're going to be leaving the country. I remember lots when my daughter played soccer. A lot of times we were going on the trip, so the coach had to have a signed letter from us for any of the children that weren't going to have parents accompanying them mm-hmm. to be able to get on that plane and travel to wherever they're going. Yeah, and uh, to their credit, the Government of Canada's travel uh, website has uh, lots of information on there. They have the consent forms, uh, generic ones that you can download, fill them out. And And again, better to have the paperwork and more paperwork than not have it when you show up at the airport to save yourself a lot of grief. For sure. And if you have any other questions, (laughs) best to consult a travel agent like yourself, Ken Stewart from (laughs) Corporate Travel Solutions. Uh, Always good to chat. Thank you, Randy. Well, the Canadian Rocky Mountain Resorts added another hotel to their collection of resorts recently. It's the Post Hotel and Spa in Lake Louise. So here now to tell us the story of the Post Hotel and Spa and give us an idea of the overall experience staying there is Larkin O'Connor. He's the president of the Canadian Rocky Mountain Resorts. The Post Hotel website is posthotel.com. Hi, Larkin. Hello, Randy. It's a pleasure to be on. Well, uh, tell me about how this all came about, how uh, the the Canadian Rocky Mountain Resorts and Post Hotel uh, merged together. Well, that's a story that goes back almost six years, but uh, I'll give you the condensed version. Uh, it's, a, it's a gorgeous asset that we've always uh, admired, what the Schwartz brothers have done, how they've created it. And there's a lot of similarities between, you know, family-run businesses, boutique hotels in the Rocky Mountains. So we were a natural to be approached when they uh, started toying with the idea of selling it. Mm-hmm. 
which was a very hard and emotional decision for the Schwartz brothers. But uh, the time did come. And when it first crossed our desk, their, uh, their investment group behind them wasn't interested in selling. So it would only have been a, uh, a partial sale. And at that time, we weren't fully interested. Once the, uh, the remainder of the group was on board, the, it recirculated back to us. And honestly, we just, we just jumped on it. Without really knowing, we put in an offer and, uh, and got the ball rolling. And, of course, that's all complicated through COVID, mm-hmm. challenging times. Um, but that, that really highlighted our level of interest being, um, being quite high. Mm-hmm. So fast forward a bit, it, uh, it was a unique, a unique deal that, that had a lot of complications, but at the end of the day uh, was, was very natural. Uh, it was a very healthy, organized pass off. The Schwartz brothers will continue to be involved. Uh, we're using this Christmas season as a way to really pass the torch. We've retained uh, George's son Michael and his daughter-in-law to continue in the GM and an ops manager role. And they're very special hoteliers that have had a long history with the Post and and all their amazing return customers. So from a customer standpoint, we're in the business of just preser- preserving what the Schwartz brothers have created and kind of carrying that legacy forward. Mm-hmm. So it's a good fit. Yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, if you've been a, a guest uh, at the Post Hotel, you probably won't notice any changes or anything like that. Tell me about the Post Hotel itself, though. Uh, where are you located? And I know it's in Lake Louise, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, tell me about the number of rooms, what you offer and the overall experience. Yeah. The Postal Co- Hotel is located right on the Pipestone River that weaves through the primary uh, valley in Lake Louise. It um, it sits gorgeously framed facing Temple Mountain. Um, it uh, it dates back quite a ways. So there was uh, previous unique uh, cabins on the site going back, uh, well, even before Sir Norman Watson got involved. And uh, it was Sir Norman Watson that, that the, uh, the Schwartz brothers procured it from in 78 and continued to add on with the primary body of the large renovation, getting it to what it was today in the, in the mid-80s. And so now it sits at uh, amount, so there's 60 um, standard rooms mm-hmm. that have a, a kind of a, a range but predominantly are still mountain facing. Uh, they all contain these gorgeous beam ceilings with slate bathrooms and solid pine furnishings. Um, a, a large portion have have fireplaces. And <laughs> ironically, the the construction and the design is is quite similar to CRMR. I was chuckling right down to the uh, Riverstone fireplaces <laughs> have such a this this correlation just because of the both properties were built up at a very similar uh, let's say boom time throughout the Bow Valley mm-hmm. um, but the the Schwartz brothers did just a fantastic job of, of creating such a solid built asset that it actually has preserved so well mm-hmm. um, so after the standard rooms there's another 29 suites and these are um, similar. They're still built into the main body of the hotel, just a, a lot larger, often have separate living rooms, um, vaulted ceilings, quite unique 
and uh, and then you get into these group of five different cabins. One of them being the Watson House, which is a huge uh, three thousand square foot building. It can it can sleep ten through four different bedrooms, all with en suites. It's absolutely remarkable. It sits right on the pipestone. Services as a kind of function space as well, and then four other cabins ranging from thirteen hundred square feet to uh, a little cute. Whitehorn Riverside cabin at 210 square feet. So there's that fun range. And, you know, our properties at CRMR are built off of kind of a cabin experience where they're, where they're separated. So this, this is a, the post has such a great balance of, of both being Mm -hmm. a a great traditional block of hotel rooms, solid build with elevators makes for a lot more ease in this kind of challenging winter environment. And then there still is these offerings that uh, that create that amazing, unique mountain experience mm-hmm. right on a river um, facing the gorgeous surrounding mountains. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> you, are, you are in the heart of the, uh, of the ski areas with Lake Louise, uh, and there's been a lot of snow lately, so it must be uh, quite a buzz <laughs> uh, around uh, there right now about the uh, ski season. I don't recall a time when they had to cancel uh, World Cup races due to snowfall <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like an oxymoron right there's too the much snow, snow <laughs> the snow that typically falls is the type this time of year that you could remove from the course with a leaf blower because it's so light and dry mm-hmm. and these were uh very impressive solid uh snowfalls that you would akin more to fantastic days in whistler or fernie and uh to see lake louise with that level of snow has been so exciting it's uh, remarkable. Um, do you accommodate skiers as far as, you know, shuttle uh, back and forth to the ski hill and uh, offering all kinds of amenities that way? Yeah, the level of service at the post is, is really unmatched. If, if at any time you need to go anywhere, it's a phone call away. Your, your bell team and your concierge team as a per person, per guest ratio would be higher than anywhere. It's remarkable. So if you're skiing, you need a longer break, you want to come in, down to the post for lunch, they will arrange it all. You'll have all your boots warmed. Your skis will be ready when you're ready to go back out. I mean, it is a phenomenal level of service that really does cater to individuals that are there for a, a luxury experience, but also are involved within these mountains. Mm-hmm. Everything from summer hiking, hikes that are guided, hikes that are self-guided, just the transportation needed, um, ensuring that you if you are going to be in the out back longer that the lunch you're taking is a post quality it's amazing it really is this perfect mix of um of of swiss hotelier guided uh hikes that were ironically all built by Swiss Mountaineers. Mm-hmm. Well, it is the Post Hotel and Spa. We only have about a minute here but uh, briefly uh, touch on the spa aspect of this day. Yeah, so the spa is um, built in 2003. It, uh, it, it is a full-service spa that, um, that, we, that is titled uh, the Temple Mountain Spa. Oh, sorry, 2005 is when it was done. It's 3,200 square feet of fantastic luxury uh, amenities with everything from multiple uh, saunas to treatment rooms. And, uh, and it all feeds into the full-size swimming pool and hot tub area with uh, saunas and hot tubs right within 
the change rooms, as well as a range of um, uh, different manicure, pedicure. So it is uh, it is full service. Um, it does get quite busy, and uh, and it's one of the the offerings that would be ideal for making a reservation mm-hmm. as as you make your your room booking. Um, but it fits the the mountain aesthetic quite well, and it uh, it feels like a natural, even though it was built after the primary body of the hotel, which is um, just a, a credit to how well designed this property is. Mm-hmm. Perfect after a day of skiing, I would think. Uh, it Very is the cool. Post Hotel and Spa, now owned and operated by the Canadian Rocky Mountain Resorts. You can find out all the details at posthotel.com and Larkin O'Connor is the president of the Canadian Rocky Mountain Resorts. Uh, appreciate your time on this, Larkin. Thank you. No, thank you so much. Well, the Florida Keys are ready and excited to welcome back Canadians this winter. So joining us now to give us an update on what's going on in the Keys these days and how to plan a trip there is Ashley Sarate. She is the Media Relations Manager for the Florida Keys. Their website is fla-keys.com. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Randy. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've chatted. Give me an update on what life is like in the Keys these days. Uh, well, it's bright and sunny, and not to make everyone completely jealous, <laughs> it is about 72 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, I can convert that to Celsius, although I think it might pe- make people a little bit more envious. A little bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll spare everyone, I guess. Uh, but it's bright and sunny, and things are doing great. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll just get it right out of the way. Uh, in the Florida Keys in particular, uh, COVID vaccination rates are very high. Uh, cases are down and hospitalizations are down. So we are, you know, very much looking forward to getting sort of, I guess, back to the new normal um, and uh, welcoming Canadians down whenever they feel comfortable and ready to travel. Mm-hmm. And uh, hurricane season is uh, coming to an end and you weren't, uh, it was kind of a quiet hurricane season this year, which is good news. So lots of good news. Um, what's yeah, the best way? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> uh, what's the best way to plan a trip to the Florida Keys? You know, I, I think a lot of people are kind of familiar. It's a chain of islands uh, that tails off uh, into the Caribbean. It's a beautiful area of Florida. But uh, tell me how the best way to kind of look at uh, planning a trip that way, to the Keys. Sure. Um, well, you kind of already gave away the the main key resource right at the beginning of this of this interview was um our website it's flakeys.com uh you can put in the hyphen or you cannot put in the hyphen um just in case you forget it um and it is a one-stop shop for uh planning for trip information for what to see what to do where to go and now we also have a booking engine so you can book directly on our website um the hotel of your choice and um you know, a lot of people from up north prefer to fly into uh, Miami or Fort Lauderdale, rent a car, and uh, drive south down the 125-mile-long chain. Um, you can make stops along the way if you wanted to just go straight to Key West and spend all your time in Key West. You can stop in Key Largo, Isla Mirada, Marathon, the Lower Keys. Uh, but you can also, you know, I have recommended that folks do this several times um, and sort of divide your stay. Maybe um, make Isla Mirada or Marathon, which are very centrally located in the destination, sort of your home base for two nights. 
And then finish out your time if you're doing a five-night stay with three nights in Key West. And that sort of gives you the opportunity to see the best of what the destination has to offer. And, um, you know, there's a lot of direct flights from Key West throughout the U.S. with connections straight back into Toronto or in Canada. So, you know, you could even fly direct out of Key West if you wanted to do that, too. Mm -hmm. So you don't necessarily have to do sort of a loop to go back to Miami or Fort Lauderdale to to head home. You can just do it all in one stretch. Uh, Let's talk about the five areas. You mentioned Key West, the Lower Keys, Marathon, uh, Isla Morada and Key Largo. Key Largo is at one end and Key West is at the other. Am I correct? Yep, that's correct. So Key Largo is, the nor- is I guess, what you would call the northernmost key. It is closest to Miami, the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area. And then as you continue south-southwest, uh, you'll come across Isla Morada, Marathon, Big Pine in the lower keys, and then Key West being the southernmost point. Um, and each area kind of has something different for everyone. Um, you know, Key Largo is is the uh, dive capital of the United States. It's home to more shipwrecks and more reef wrecks than any other point, um, and it's great. And it's also home to John Penny Camp Coral Reef State Park, which is the first underwater state park. And then you can continue south to Isla Morada. Um, Isla Morada is sort of like, if Key West is the cool kid, Isla Morada is the up-and-coming cool kid. They've got a burgeoning arts community, a lot of great dining, a lot of great hotels and resorts. Um, And then continuing on to Marathon, Marathon is uh, the family-friendly destination. Um, There's a lot of family-friendly focused hotels, a lot of great fishing, um, and a lot of great family-friendly activities and attractions. And then continuing on to Big Pine and the Lower Keys, that is where you can really connect with nature. There are several nature preserves. There's, um, you know, Baya Honda State Park the National Key Deer Refuge. So it's a really great place to sort of get out into nature and you can kayak the backcountry. And then, of course, once you hit the southernmost point in Key West, you've got a little bit of everything, you know, close to perfect, far from normal. So there's, you know, bars and a nightlife scene, of course, which, you know, everyone kind of knows about. But then there's also really great history. Um, You know, Hemingway spent a lot of his time in Key West, wrote several of his most famous novels there. But we've also um, had Robert Frost live in town. Um, for those of you that know Judy Bloom, Judy Bloom lives in Key West and runs a bookshop there. So it's, there's a lot to see and a lot to do and definitely a lot to experience. Well, yeah, I'm wondering if you did a five or seven day itinerary, that wouldn't be uh, long enough to take in all the stuff. I do have uh, <laughs> one question I want to pick up on the, the underwater state yeah. park. How do you tour an underwater state park? <laughs> Uh, you have to either snorkel or dive. Um, there is a there is a land based component, of course, like any uh, like you would expect, where a lot of um, you know boat tours and and um, they have a welcome center and there are th- and beaches too. So there are land based activities, but a majority of what's to see at John Penny Camp Coral Reef State Park is the underwater world, um, and they have fishing. Uh, Sorry, not fishing charters. They have snorkeling and dive charters that leave right from the park. Uh, so it's a half-day boat trip out there, and it's it's a lot of fun. There's the Christ of the Deep statue, which is really beautiful, and it's definitely something to see and a lot of things to see underwater, which is always entertaining and fun and kind of what the destination mm-hmm. is about. It's about getting out on the water. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, I'm not really a boat person, but that doesn't hold you back anywhere because there are, like you say, a lot of charter tours. There's a lot of people willing to take you out on a boat to, to uh, experience that, isn't there? Exactly, yeah. No no uh, captain's license necessary. There's a lot of um, 
local fishing captains and fishing guides and local dive charters and local snorkel charters who are just ready to get you out on the water. And they can rent you the gear, too, so you don't even have to bring it with you. <laughs> and I would think uh, uh, the drive yes, itself is uh, part of the, the whole experience as well, the driving along the highway over the ocean. Uh, it's not something you get to do uh, every day around here, that's for sure. Definitely. It's, you know, it's one of the best road trips, and I'm not saying that just because I represent the destination. I'm saying it because once you hit, you know, North Key Largo, you kind of sort of feel like you're in a different place. Um, it's 125 miles long, and there's 42 bridges. So you've got, you know, the Atlantic on one side and the Florida Bay on the other, and it's just life sort of slows down when you hit the overseas highway, and you get to really sort of take in the sights and sounds of the islands. Um, without actually having to leave your car, which is kind of nice. Um, and then, of course, you can drive over the Seven Mile Bridge, which is a, one of the world's um, longest bridges, um, longest contiguous. <laughs> oh, that's a mouthful. Um, need more coffee to say that. And um, it's a lot of fun, and, and I, I honestly recommend that people drive it at least once. And I think, you know, people might look on a map and go, well, it might be a little bit intimidating to drive that. But when you say it's only 120 miles long, it isn't really that long of a drive, especially if you break it up, you know, into three or four days or whatever, right? Exactly. Yeah. If you wanted to do it in one straight shot without any stops along the way, it'll take you about, you know, from, from the mainland. So from South, the South Florida, Miami area, it'll take you about four hours to get down to Key West. Um, but, you know, there's a lot to see and do on the way down. And we have on our website, we have some great resources on how to break up the drive. So if you wanted to, you know, drive down, maybe have lunch somewhere in Isla Mirada or Marathon and then continue on the Key West. Or even if you just like I mentioned earlier, you just wanted to spend a couple nights in the Upper Keys and then continue on down to Key West. What are some of the um, events that are coming up in the new year that people might want to uh, take in? Um, absolutely. So first and foremost, I have to mention that our New Year's Eve events, you know, if you wanted to book now for New Year's Eve, um, our New Year's Eve events are coming up. Um, you know, we've got the drag queen drop in the red shoe. Uh, there's going to be a lot of great things happening for the holiday season. Um, but of course, you know, as we head into January and February, there's the Taste of Key West, uh, the Key, Key West Wine and Food Festival that takes place at the end of January. Um, and then we've got, you know, the Key West Literary Seminar, which also happens in January. So there's a lot of information, um, you know, about events coming up. Um, on our website, we have a special section dedicated just to the calendar, and that's flockies.com slash calendar, where you can find all the upcoming events. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only have about 30 seconds, but is there anything you might want to add that I missed? Uh, no, I think we've covered the website. I, I honestly want to recommend that everyone just check it out. It'll give you a lot of great information for you to, um, you know, plan your next visit to the fabulous Florida Keys and Key West. And that website is fla-keys.com. Ashley Sorate is uh, the Media Relations Manager for Florida Keys. Uh, always nice to chat with you, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website, theinformedtraveler.org. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know, leave a review, tell a friend, or you can drop me a line. My email is randy at theinformedtraveler.org. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler or follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.org.